may be seated. Good morning, church. It is good to be with you in the house of the Lord. Please join with me in a prayer. This is a prayer that the famous British preacher Charles Spurgeon once prayed. If you have not heard of Charles Spurgeon, look him up, read some of his sermons, read about his life, and you will be duly inspired and lifted up by the way that he brought the gospel to so many. So let us pray. The revealed word awakened me, but it was the preached word that saved me. And I must ever attach peculiar value to the hearing of the truth, for by it I received the joy and peace in which my soul delights. Amen. So today's two scripture passages from the Gospel of Luke and uh, St. Paul's second letter to Timothy are juxtapositioned quite nicely in today's liturgical calendar to provide us in our everyday walk with the Lord powerful motivation. For on the one hand, you have Jesus sending out his disciples to start their ministry. You see, Jesus, in effect, took their training wheels off. Now, I remember when our daughter Brittany was just little and she was learning to ride her bike. We've all been there. If we remember in our past, when we were children, learning to ride our bike and someone taught you how to do it. Well, for my daughter, Brittany, we went to a place uh, called Rockner Park, an absolutely beautiful park in Great Britain where we were living at the time. And she had been on her bike enough with her training wheels. And you know, you just get this sense that they're ready. Yeah? And so off we went to, to, to Ropner Park. We loaded her little bike in the back of the trunk or boot, as they call it in, in England, and uh, arrived. And uh, so I let her just bike around the park for a little bit. And then I said to her, okay, Brittany, now Daddy's going to take these training wheels off. You know, and the look on her face was both fear and excitement. And this I want to share with you is one of the most memorable moments in both my life and in my parenting because uh, out came the wrench, off came the training wheels, you know, and with my hand on the back of the seat, you know, I said, okay, let's go, Brittany, let's go. And she started pedaling and pedaling and pedaling. And I was encouraging her and I was saying, you've got it, Brittany, you've got it. And she's pedaling and she's like, oh, dad, I've got it. I think I've got it. And then there came that moment where I just let go and off she went. And she said, dad, I'm doing it. I've got it. I'm doing it. And our Lord in our discipleship encourages us in the same way. You see, Jesus has got this sense of when your training wheels have got to come off, yeah? Now, if you're still on your training wheels, yeah, get ready because the Lord is going to encourage you to take those training wheels off at some point. And He's going to hang on to the seat. He's not going to let you fall, but He's going to encourage you to pedal so that you can keep going and then eventually ride on, yeah? On the other hand... St. Paul 
is reflecting with his younger protege, Timothy, about what life is like as a disciple on the back end of ministry. So not so much beginnings, but more endings. And it's, it's quite a contrast, really, that, that we see and encounter uh, between the gospel narrative found within Luke and then uh, St. Paul's letter uh, to his younger protege, Timothy. But this morning, I'm not happy with just beginnings and endings because I want to know about all the stuff of life that happens in between. Yes? Now, most of us, we have a pretty good grasp on our beginnings. We are we're born in such and such a place on a certain date to the following parents and... Uh, that's true, and, and you know, we could go around the sanctuary this morning and you could tell me your story of where and when you were born and uh, the, the kind of parenting that, that you had. But none of us knows our endings exactly, the when and the how. As an example, uh, as a hospice chaplain, we frequently have patients that are, you know, they're seemingly doing just fine. We're managing their symptoms of pain and discomfort, and, and sometimes they are even pain-free. And, and then seemingly from out of nowhere, there's this downturn, and the patient rapidly declines, and, and then they're gone, leading many of us in hospice care, and, and we're really the experts to say, wow, I, I didn't see that one coming at all, you know? Yes, death can happen to us in that kind of way. And, and I shouldn't be surprised because the majority of us never know when or where that we are leaving this life. Can I get an amen? Amen, yeah. So um, I want to share with you about a, a patient that I was visiting. Uh, I initially uh, visited with her uh, in the nursing home and then her family uh, retrieved her uh, from the nursing home, uh, brought her home. Uh, and she was there at home with her son and the daughter-in-law. The daughter-in-law was really doing uh, uh, the bulk of the caregiving in the main. And uh, uh, this person, uh, this lady began to decline. Uh, we, could, we could see that she was at end of life. And so I was called and I, I went to the house. And uh, I provided her with last rites. And I prayed over her. And I anointed her with oil. And I prayed the Our Father with her, and then I left the family, and I thought to myself, surely she's close. No, she's not close at all. You know, a few more days went by, and the family called me back and said, Chaplain, you know, uh, we, and, and we know that uh, our mother was so comforted by your presence and your prayers, we'd really like you to come back and pray again. So, so back I went again, and I prayed and I, I took a little cross, like a little wooden cross, somewhat, somewhat similar to this here. And I, you know, and she was non-responsive. She didn't know that I was there per se, you know. But I put this little cross in her hand uh, just, just to reassure her. And I, I prayed for her. And, and then I went on my way. And I thought, surely this is it, you know. And I would pray even prayers of release, you know. If you hear the Lord calling to you, it's okay. You can just go ahead and, and let go. And on my way I went. And this happened yet again. She didn't pass. And then I came back and I prayed more prayers. Now between you, me, and the gatepost, I said to myself, now Lord. <laughs> it, it, 
the family's ready, you know, but everything in your perfect timing. And then I was out in the field and I got this uh, telephone call from uh, our resource center and they said, can you take a call from this particular family? And I said, yes. And I spoke with the daughter-in-law and she said, Chaplain Daniel, I want to let you know that my mother-in-law has just passed. And she said to me, you know, we figured out what she was waiting for. And I, you know, and I said, well, well, well what? what? What could it have been? And, and the daughter-in-law said, you know, we, we, we came up close to her bedside, just the family, and we were having kind of this conversation as family around her bedside. Again, you know, she wasn't responsive at all. We were having this conversation about how all of the crops from the field had been taken in and harvested. You see, for this patient, a long time ago, she was a farm girl. And the daughter-in-law said to me, she said, after we were talking about that topic of taking in the harvest, she just breathed a few more breaths, and she was gone. And the daughter-in-law said to me, she just needed to know that the farm was going to be okay. Huh. She needed to know that the middle of life for her family was okay before the end could come for her. Now, I don't think that that's what I'm going to be waiting on on my deathbed, you know, for the crops to be brought in, but, but that's okay, you know. We're all different, aren't we? We're all going to be waiting for something different at the end of life. So what will you be waiting for on your deathbed until you're able to release and to, to let go and to hear the Lord's voice, His thunderous voice calling to you? Now, I'm not trying to encourage us to be morbid or to be sad at the end, but rather, I want us to be as St. Paul was. I want us to be realistic and, and triumphant as he was with Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who long for and love his future appearing. But what I'd like for us to all reflect upon is no, not so much our beginnings or our endings, but as I said, what comes in between. You know, the peanut butter and jelly in between the bread. Have I got any peanut butter and jelly fans here this morning, you know? The sugar and the creamer stirred up in the cup. Or the wind that blows between the grass beneath your feet and the sky that is above your head. Do you know what is in between? So what's your in-between of life been like? How is the content of your life going so far? Is it pretty good? Has it been a struggle? Perhaps a little bit of both? Has COVID impacted what's going on in your heart and mind and soul? And has it shaped how you're looking at your life? I was with a friend yesterday. He's a single gentleman. I said, how are you doing, Michael? And he said to me, you know what? I'm down. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> you know, I've got the COVID down, you know. And uh, I think we could, we could all relate to that, you know. Has COVID hardened you? Has it angered you? Has it scared you? Has it caused you to appreciate life a little bit more, you know? How is the middle stuff of your life going? 
The Reverend Billy Graham once said, being a Christian is more than just an instantaneous conversion. It is a daily process whereby you grow. A daily process of growth whereby you become more like Christ. So are you and I more like Christ today than we were yesterday? Yes, Pastor, we are, you know. And, and yesterday more than the day before? Yeah. So to get at the answer to this, I, I want to draw additionally this morning from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, and Jesus' ask of the rich young ruler. We, we all know the story, but I'll, I'll just uh, summarize it here for us. Uh, uh, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked him, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inter- uh, inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you ask me about what's good? Yeah, there's only one who's good if you want to enter into life, keep all of the commandments. Which ones, he inquired, you know? And Jesus replied, you shall not murder, not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not give false uh, testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the, and the young man said, all that, you know, I've, I've kept all of that uh, uh, since I was, uh, you know, just knee high. What, what else do I lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, Go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. It's a conditional clause. Do this, and then you may come and follow after me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. What am I going to do now? You know? The real sticking point for the rich young ruler is when Jesus says in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all of your possessions. As soon as Jesus said this, this man didn't hear another thing that Jesus had to say to him. Not a thing. Ever been in a conversation with someone like that? You know, and they say something to you that is just so absolutely true that after that you can't hear anything else that's said? Because you know that what they're saying is speaking to your heart. Yeah, well that was the case for the rich young ruler. So what Jesus is talking about is a process of continual decision making. You see, the very irritating thing that I have unearthed in my discipleship with Jesus Christ is that he never stops asking me to give up more things or more of me or from me to be more like him. And I don't think that I'm too different from you in that respect. Okay, Daniel, he says to me, you need to make this change. You need to give this up. Or you need to take this on. And just when I've talked myself into doing it, and I undertake the change he wants me to make, and I do it successfully, you know, give, give or take some false starts here and there, he comes right along and he says, okay, now, Daniel, that's really, really good. Now I want you to go and do this. I'm like, here... You're kidding me, like, right, Lord, you know? And this is what Jesus calls being perfect. Charles Spurgeon, whom I mentioned at the start of our message, that great British preacher once remarked, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. (laughs) Remember that. You know, if you take nothing with you this morning, just remember, take that with you. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark, you know? Now, I don't know about you, but being perfect is a concept that I struggle with. Bear my soul and share my flaws, faults, and inadequacies. Eh, 
after you get to know me long enough, maybe I might peel back a few layers for you. I could probably do that, you know. But to tell you, as Jesus asked this young man to do, to strive to be perfect, you're kidding, right? Now, fortunately... The Greek language, uh, which is the language of the New Testament, helps us here because the word for perfect, as it is used here, is teleos. And, and it's, uh, it, uh, from its derivation, we get our English word telescope, looking at something far in a distance, but bringing it close. And in the Greek, the word is brought to its end, finished, wanting nothing necessary for, com- that's perfection, wanting nothing necessary for completion. This is the same word that Jesus utters when he's dying upon the cross. It is finished. It is teleos. There is nothing more that can be provided to complete this perfect work. Well, that's what Jesus is saying on the cross. My work is done. What work? His work on planet Earth? No. His work within your heart and within your life to save you and implant within you the ability to be more like Him. Hmm. Sounds like a pretty tall order. Would you agree? It is. But if you couldn't do it, He wouldn't ask it of you. You see? Just as He asked that of the rich young ruler. So, if He didn't come to make us more like He is, why on earth did He bother to come at all? I don't get it. Now, some people say that um, President Trump is a disruptor. And they say that usually in a negative, critical kind of way, as if it's bad, you know. And I have a friend who once gave me a reference for a church that I was candidating for as a pastor, for which I did get the job. Tell us, the search committee asked my friend, what kind of pastoral style does Daniel have, you know? Because every congregation wants to know, are they going to marry up? Are they going to come together in a unified way with the style of that particular pastor? And my friend said to the search committee, oh, his style is to challenge you. Yeah. And I guess the church was up for the challenge because they ended up calling me. Cool, right? Why? Because the role of any pastor and shepherd is to take you where you are and lead you into those places where you ordinarily wouldn't go. Yeah? Unless you were led there, right? Sheep, as it turns out, are, are too stupid to find their own green pastures. You get the implication, right? Yeah? <laughs> so, no, left to our own devices, you know, we would probably eat stubby, brown, dried up grass all day long. Go to the refrigerator, oh, you know, dried up uh, brown, stubby grass again. There it is. And don't you just long for somebody to step into your kitchen and say, I'm going to cook you a brand new recipe. Oh, yeah, that's going to be wonderful, you know. And I love that phrase that's often employed by the African-American church. I may not be all that I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Yes, that is a life that is moving forward in perfection. But long before President Trump was labeled a disruptor, I've got to tell you, Jesus was the original disruptor. Oh yeah, he was. If you're a Christian, and you're, hear me church, if you're a Christian, and your life has never been disrupted or disturbed by Jesus, go see Father David afterward. He needs to correct your theology, okay? Yeah? 
As Billy uh, Sunday, that great evangelist, once said, the trouble with many men is that they just got enough religion to make them miserable. I love that, you know. If He goes on to say, Billy Sunday, who was one of these great uh, evangelistic preachers, he says, if there's no joy in your religion, then you've got a leak in your religion. And the religion of the rich young ruler was leaking all over the place, the text says, because it says he went away sad. So I have this dear, dear friend by the name of Nancy. And uh, she was one of my parishioners when I pastored just outside of Boston many, many years ago. Now, you've got to understand that there are a lot of rocks all throughout New England because it is metaphorical for the disposition of the hearts of the people that live in New England. That's what I found out as a pastor, okay? So I became the pastor of this church, and down in about the second pew was Nancy. And every Sunday I would preach, and Nancy would sit there like this, arms folded, you know, and she she was giving me the stink eye, you know. And I said to the Lord, I think I'm I'm, kind of, you know, getting in trouble here a little bit, you know. Kind of an angry look on her face, you know. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, this this kind of went along, and I, you know, I'd almost want to avert her gaze, because I know every time I looked at Nancy, I'd be getting, you know, you know, that, that, that kind of thing, you know. And then one day she approached me after worship and she said, Pastor Daniel, uh, you and I got to talk. I thought, okay, Lord Jesus. You know, it's like when somebody comes, you know, we got to talk about this, you know. And I said, sure, Nancy, come on, let's, let's go back. I thought, let's go back to my office because I certainly don't want a public scene in front of the whole congregation, right? So back we went to my office and she sat herself down in one of my chairs and she looked me straight in the eye and she said, Pastor Daniel, I am mad at you. I am really upset with you. So, okay. You know, and I said, tell me more. <laughs> you know, tell me more. And she said to me, she said, you know, I have been going to this church for the better part of my life, some 30 years, and I have never heard anybody share with me the truth of the gospel as you have. I have listened to pastor after pastor in this church in a very liberal uh, denomination, not citing any denominational names, for years. And she said, "You, after all those years, you are the first one. Wow. Ma took her hands, and I prayed. And Nancy received the Lord Jesus into her heart and life that day. And to this day, Wherever I am in ministry, she will call me on the phone. Daniel, this is Nancy. You okay? Everything all right? Okay. Nancy will call me on the phone. And she'll say, thank God for you, Daniel. Thank God for you. And she she has paid me the highest compliment in ministry. Because she has said, without you, I never would have heard. Without you, I never would have heard. So how is it that your life is going to be perfect? You're going to do what Jesus once asked his 70 or 72, depending upon which gospel you're reading, followers, to do on the front end of following him. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. 
couple weeks ago, uh, Janet and I just finished a, a two-week vacation uh, going hiking. And in the second cabin we stayed in, uh, there were these lovely hiking sticks that were in the corner of the living room. And I took one of those hiking sticks and I used it during our hikes. And I love that hiking stick because, you know, it, it, I used it to balance me and to steady me as we were walking along uh, these trails. And it was wonderful, you know. And I didn't like it when I didn't have the walking stick because, you know what, I began to become dependent upon it. And so, in other words, if I could summarize the passage from Luke's Gospel, it might go like this. Get out there and live your life without all those things that you depend upon. Bag, purse, sandals, walking sticks, so on. Depend upon me. There it is. Now, I love listening to Brian Kilmeade, uh, Brian Kilmeade show in the morning. I don't know if there's any Brian Kilmeade fans here this morning on talk radio. And after interviewing a guest, he usually con concludes the interview by saying to the guest, go get him. Go get him, you know. And, and likewise, Jesus wants us to go get him. Because when Jesus asks you to follow him, it isn't for all the creature comfort so that we can sit back and allow others to do for God what rightly we should be doing for him ourselves. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah, yeah. And not everyone can say yes to this because Jesus, who asks us to give up so much to follow after him, he asks of us and not everyone can say yes to that. And I've known a lot of well-intentioned Christians whose lives have been a train wreck because they didn't leave their bag or their purse or their staff or their sandals behind. They never took on board the overwhelming necessity of the self-sacrificial nature of being a follower of Him. Let me repeat that again because I got it in my notes here. They never took on board the overwhelming necessity of the self-sacrificial nature of being a follower of Him. You see, being a Christian means take no backup plan. It's not there. And so on the one hand, I, I, I think that's very exciting, you know, no backup plan. But on the other hand, it scares me to death, you know. What? He is the backup plan. Don't look for another. I don't know about you. In my discipleship, every once in a while, I, you know, I kind of say to myself, is, 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 is there anybody else coming? <laughs> no, it's just Jesus, you know. It reminds me of poor John the Baptist's disciples in Matthew chapter 11. It says this, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who's to come, or should we be expecting somebody else? You know? And Jesus says, he replied, Go back to John. And tell him what you've heard. Tell him what you've seen. The deaf hear. The blind see. The dumb speak. The dead are raised. Yup. He's the one. He's the one. You know? There is no one else to expect. You see, not everyone gets to this place of completion that St. Paul uh, writes about to Timothy. For I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. Not everybody gets to that place. But allow me to swap out the images to sweeten the pot for you, if I can. If you let go of the bag, the purse, and the staff, or the walking stick, on the front end of your life with Jesus, you will exchange them one day on the back end of your life 
as St. Paul knew, for a crown. The importance of the struggle of the in-between preeminently qualified St. Paul to be able to confidently claim his crown. You're going to claim your crown? Because the Lord is fashioning one for you. But you've got to claim it. Like St. Paul said, I'm going to claim this crown of righteousness. So are you qualified to lay claim to yours? You've got to be qualified to lay claim to it. Now, I don't know about you, but i got a little beanie head. Yeah, And my little beanie head is becoming all that much more visible with the more hair that I lose over the years, right? Now, now, now please, please, I beg you, don't let that be your lasting image of me, okay? Because that would really hurt, you know, just you thinking of me with a little beanie head. But I don't really wear hats uh, very well because my head's just too small, which I pray that you don't take as an indication of my level of intelligence, okay? I mean, I can just about get away with baseball caps, you know, because I can do that thing on the back. I can loosen the Velcro or I can push in the tabs, you know, just to kind of uh, uh, size and fit it around my cranium. And so I want to say to you today that the crown of righteousness is not like a one-size-fits-all pair of jeans, you know? Ever have Madison Avenue try and sell you a one-size-fits-all pair? They're lying to you through their teeth. Of course they are. I mean, my jeans ain't going to fit you, right? And your jeans aren't going to fit me. Some of us need a little more height in the legs. Some of us need a little more uh, width around the hips. Uh, you get the idea, okay? Your crown, my friend, is not going to fit on my head. I might say to, my, to myself, ooh, they got a really nice looking crown. I wonder if it'll fit on my head. Mm, that's not going to work. And my crown is not going to fit on your head. Yeah? Probably because my head's just too small. Yeah? So how is your crown fitted? Does God tape a, take a tape measure and run it around your head? Is that how he does it? Or might your measurement for your crown of righteousness be the same way that God measured it for the 70? Just go get them. That was a measurement for their crown. Or in the same way as it was for the rich young ruler. Just leave it behind. Leaving it behind is a measurement for your crown. And in the same way that it was for St. Paul. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not also for me, but also for you. Amen.